stood up in the middle of the council on Mars Hill and said, people of Athens, I see that you are very religious in every way. As I was walking through town and carefully observing your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. What you worship as unknown, I now proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples made with human hands, right. nor is God served by human hands as though he needed something, right. since he is the one who gives life, breath, and everything else. From one person, God created every human nation to live on the whole earth, mm -hmm. having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands. God made the nations so they would seek him, perhaps even reach out to him and find him. In fact, God isn't far away from any of us. In God, we live, move, and exist. Yep. As some of your own poets said, said we are his offspring. Mm. Therefore, as God's offspring, we have no need to imagine that the divine being is like a, is like a gold, silver, or stone image made by human skill and thought. God overlooks ignorance of these things in times past, but now directs everyone everywhere to change their hearts and lives. This is because God has set a day when he intends to judge the world justly by a man he has appointed. God has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. How you doing? Happy Mother's Day to you moms out there. We see you. We love you. Happy Mother's and birthday to Devin, my wife. And to Dot, our scripture reader. Isn't that just fun? I had the double whammy. No combo gifts today. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody have a December birthday? You know the combo gift, don't you? Amen. Hey, listen, let me tell you what not to do on Mother's Day. Um, actually, just don't do this period on Sundays, the Lord's Sabbath. Don't put together Ikea furniture. <laughs> it never goes well with a partner, with a spouse, with someone you love. It just doesn't go well. It's about as, uh, it goes about as well as a game of Monopoly. Um, Here's what's true. Oh, yeah, I forgot about our VIPs. Young kids, you can get out of here before we get any further into putting together IKEA furniture and Monopoly. Go on back with Millard and Casey. Can we give a hand to Casey in the back? Casey, wave for everybody so everybody knows who you are. Bye, friend, we love you. Bye, young people, we love you as well. Here's what's true, I believe. What we believe determines what we practice. In other words, what we believe is dependent upon what we build. For example, if, um, <laughs> if we believe IKEA furniture can be built, which it can't, <laughs> we'll attempt it. See, belief is the cornerstone of, um, think about it this way, belief is the cornerstone of the altars that we build in order to worship. Now, this plays out in a lot of different ways. 
Some, sometimes this includes the idols we build. Um, there is a cornerstone to the altars that we build. And sometimes the very altars we build are the very things that hinder us, ironically, from experiencing God's presence. And this is what Stephen the martyr was talking about last week when Drew noted exactly what Stephen says. But the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. We've built a lot of houses, haven't we? We've created and whittled a lot of forms for God. The God of no form. And the cornerstone of these houses is often damaging, hurtful, harmful to the belief of God. Some of you have walked away from the church for many years and just recently have returned because of the idols, the forms that have been created for you that you've had to wrestle with. And here are some houses that maybe you've had built in your life. These are some houses maybe that you've participated in saying, God was present when fill in a good moment in your life. God was present there and only there. God doesn't give us more than we can handle. The cornerstones of the temples that we build matter. Are you with me? The Bible is the only way to experience God. We have entire theologies that are built on these cornerstones. And they are detrimental to people experiencing the mysterious wonder of a God that isn't just here, but is everywhere. Here's what I've come to find. That platitudes destroy the profoundness of faith, don't they? Just let go and let God. What does that even mean when you're dying from cancer? (laughs) Platitudes destroy the mystery, the expansiveness, the The beauty of belief in God. But the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. Stephen is drawing on this concept of God's lack of framework, which is an ancient Jewish tradition. Definitions, forms, it's antithetical to Stephen's thinking. In fact, the Old Testament calls them idols. In Deuteronomy, a text in the Old Testament Torah, uh, that is the first five books of the Old Testament, which kind of frames the Jewish faith. Moses reminds the Israelites this in Deuteronomy 4.12. Then the Lord spoke to you out of what? Not out of a book, not out of text, but out of what? Fire. You heard the sound of the words, but did you see form? No. There was no form. There was only a voice. Are you tracking with me, people? Let me get an amen. Amen. For all of you who've been harmed by these platitudes, let me hear you say an amen. Amen. 
This was a radical, revolutionary concept. Up to this point, think about it. Gods, small g gods, had a form, didn't they? You would make a carving and a sculpture that you would bow down to. They were the god of the sun. They were the god of the rain. They were the god of love. They were the god of every single experience. And each one had a shape, a form, a characterization. And this god, however, isn't concerned with people seeing his image. In fact, he didn't need people to see his image. But rather, people knowing her image that is present all around us. See, the Israelites, God had no limits. God has no definition. And this can be very scary for many of us, especially you Enneagram sixes. <laughs> this can be very scary. But God has no definition outside of God's self. Let me see if I can unpack this, Drew, because this is a weird, nebulous, high-level theological concept. God is the I am. You've heard that said. As she responded in Mo to Moses in Exodus, the word I am is the first person, singular, imperfect form of, you ready for this? To be. The I am is the to be. God is and will always be. be. Mm. God. This, this is a mystery, Paul says through Luke. Check this out. Paul says this through Luke in Acts. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life. Not some people. <laughs> everyone life and breath and everything else. That means everything that is given to you is from this mysterious God. And it's not just because you follow this God. That's how mysterious and giving this God is. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit what? Not just parts of the earth. The whole earth. The whole earth including Iraq and Afghanistan. Including Mexico and Guatemala. <laughs> expansive and mysterious. Are you with me? Amen. Mm. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would, what, seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Let me rephrase this being part. We have our to be-ness. Mm. As some of our, your own poets, poets have said, and here he's looking back at poetry he found, we are his offspring. 
In our text, Luke's Acts of the Apostle, Paul meets at the Areopagus and redefines this new Jewish express, expression called Christianity in terms that they could understand. Paul wasn't trapped in, well, it's always been this way. Or, well, that's the way we've always done it. Or, that's how we've always worshipped. We've always had lasers and fog machines. <laughs> Paul, <laughs> Paul appropriately creates avenues through logic and linguistics for people to see the formless God in the present. This is detaching God from form and expanding the definition of God for the sake of inclusion. You hear me? Paul, in our text, mentions the altar dedicated to the unknown God, not the God of Yahweh, the unknown, mysterious God, and declares what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to be and incarnate for you right now. I'm going to reveal it to you. Here, Paul adeptly translates his message into a concept that resonates with the Athenians, constructing a, think about this, a linguistic bridge of communication that allows them to engage with the teaching in an effective manner. Paul is expanding the definition built by humans And Paul isn't using apologetics, is he? As if God needs our defense or something. He's just showing God's presence in all things. And here's what I think is true. God doesn't need our apologetics and proof in order for God to be present. If you think God needs your defense, you're just building something with human hands. God is the great I am, the to be. In other words, God's present isn't dependent on your doing. Or your understanding. That short-term mission trip you take, that isn't bringing God to a nation. (laughs) God is already there. God is already at work. Like Paul, we are joining the work of Christ. This mysterious work that is already playing out. God is present and at work. And our trying doesn't manipulate or change God's presence or God's doing. God has already done. And there's nothing left to do except show up. And to be. (laughs) Just like God. God exists as a, a tangible figure in the incomprehensible realm. Bridging the visible and the invisible. The holy and the worldly. Extending an invitation for us to behold. And to experience. Paul, a missionary is removing the structure, the cornerstone of religiosity in rebuilding the bricks of belief, and he's placing it onto a trampoline. Um, Let's be honest, trampolines today aren't nearly as fun as trampolines when I was a kid. (laughs) Now they have safety nets. They have 
They have covers over the springs so your toe doesn't get caught in it anymore. It's quite sad, actually. <laughs> Some people's faith is a lot like a trampoline. It's holy. It, it bends. It flexes. It moves. The spring is our doctrine. For others, their faith, like Paul speaking to the Athenians, is built like a wall of bricks. Brick building. And if you pull one out to examine it, if you just have a question about why that brick is there, it actually harms the integrity of the wall. And it comes crumbling in. And the whole thing becomes unstable. It, it crumbles, bricks being our doctrine. I often wonder if Paul is inviting us into trampolineanity rather than brickianity. You see, brickianity must have correct beliefs in order to thrive, but trampolineanity is fluid. Some bricks might get double bounced off the trampoline because there is no safety net. The springs that hold the net tight, that of course, again, this is our orthodox position that gives language and theology and practice, Eucharist tables and common prayers, things that matter to our faith. These are super important, but these springs are nothing more than our attempt to get to the heartbeat of what makes the to be, be God. God, an endless mystery that is able to be explored it doesn't uh, jeopardize the foundation of the brick wall if you look at something, if you turn it, if you examine it. In fact, it strengthens it. And yeah, maybe a brick gets double bounced off when uh, archaeologists discover something new that challenges our belief or, or we confront something that might be different than the worldview that we've held for so long. Yeah, that can be really scary. But what I think Paul is inviting us into is much richer. It's so much more fun. It's so much more hopeful. He himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Thank you, amen yeah. and amen. I want to invite the band up. Woo! We good? Yeah. Everybody take a deep breath. Release. All right, we're good. Some of you are dealing with some trauma right now. Some of you have come in with brick walls constructed. And maybe you're rethinking that brick wall right now. It's all good. God loves you either way. <laughs> and God is with you. So here's what Paul is getting at. This is my bottom line here. You can't limit where God is going to be found. Paul is dismantling the hierarchy. We typically think that God is found in temples or God is somewhere up there. This is our typical order. Dirt, plants, trees, insects, animals, humans, God. But Paul is saying dirt is God. Plants are God. Trees are God. Insects are God. God is in all of it and is all of it. Amen. 
Think about it. Baptism. We're, proud. We're celebrating baptism in a few weeks. Baptism, the most abundant resource on earth. Water. 71% of the earth is water. 60% of our bodies is water. Water is the gateway in which we enter into the new creation. Water is the gateway that Paul puts to, that we find that we are God's offspring. It's all God. Are you with me? Bread and the wine, the table, the place where we literally eat the body and drink of Christ that we ourselves then become the living memories of this mysterious God. It's all right there. And this too is God. God removes the hierarchy. God loosens God's grip on creation so that we can find God on the margins. And we too need to loosen our grip on right answers and expand our view to find God on those same margins. This is the invitation from Paul to the Epicurean to the Stoic philosophers. It's all God. So your homework this week is to find that God. Where in your life have you been missing God? Where has the brick wall hindered your vision? To see beyond the brick wall of where God might be. Who in your life have you rejected, set aside, ostracized for the sake of that wall? I almost cursed, but I decided not to. May we have faith like a trampoline. In the name of the three and one, amen.